So I'm ready today to jump in uh, to what we're doing because today is going to be an incredible day because what no one knows about, there's something I'm going to be doing somewhere in the middle of this or at the end of this that um, has been in my heart for a while and I want to make sure and do that today because there is no better time than right now. Would you turn the lights all the way up for me, please, this morning? It's important. I want to look every person and see them very brightly in their faces as I minister today. So I want to begin. Uh, this is the second part of the series, As I Follow Christ. And today, the subject of that is going to be what can be gained. In fact, I, I almost wish I had called the series As I Imitate Christ. Uh, because there's a difference between the two. Following and imitating is not the same word, not even in Scripture. The original Hebrew, the original, in this case, the original Greek, um, is not a reference to simply getting behind somebody and walking in their footsteps. It's not simply that. To follow, and I love what Stephanie Bosch said this morning when we were back in our meeting before service and we were praying, and she said, uh, she referenced following and how on social media there are people that have all kinds of followers and what have you. Um, so it really doesn't carry any weight. And, but people are so boastful and proud of how many followers that they have, whether it be on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever else people are following on nowadays. But there's a, there's a pride that settles into people if they have X amount of followers versus someone else who has that many. And they judge, people will judge themselves based on if they look at their best friend and they have more followers than them, then they're wondering, how come they're not following me? And she referenced that following phenomenon this morning and that there is really not a lot of weight with that. And I added to or uh, included in what she said that in today's general world, when we talk about following, um, it's, there really is no such thing as following someone where there is no accountability included in that. If there is no accountability, it's really not following at all. Um, there's something to be said today about what we're going to read in just a moment that Paul said. I read it last week. I want to read it again because it's taking us somewhere this morning. But I want to do this before we begin. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for your ears. I want you to hear and I want you to see today what the Father wants to show us. So put your hands on your ears this morning if you would. Father, I lift my voice and I pray for every man and woman. I pray for the children. I pray for the people that are watching and listening to this service today that are on the other side of that lens. I care about every single one of them. They matter to me. Those that I know and those that I don't know, they matter to me. Their growth matters to me. Where they're headed, it matters to me. And it matters to me because it matters to you. And I pray today that you will help me speak what you are saying. I don't want to add to what you want to release in this place today, nor do I want to take away from what you want to do in this house today. I want to make sure that my words imitate 
your words, that they are filled with the same authority, the same power, and the same anointing that your words are today. And let every hearer today, every watcher today, be changed for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. So what can be gained by me following Christ or what can be gained by me, in fact, say this with me, what can be gained, or ask this with me, what can be gained by me imitating anyone who is imitating Christ? This is what we're going to talk about this morning. So let's begin by going to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you're following along and you go in the Bible app and you search the Rock of Central Florida in the events part, you'll find that we are there. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11. My wife was funny because she went there a few weeks ago and it started reading it to her. And uh, you know, when you get to a certain age, it asks, do you want me to read this? Or she's not, she's not there yet, so it must have been responding to my age. She's still a young chick. <laughs> Steve, stop. Just read the verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. I'm, already, I'm starting off getting myself in trouble today. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. In the English Standard Version, it says this. Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let me read this again. I do that often. I like to read it a couple of times because I want it to get in us. In us. Say this with me. Say, be imitators in fact, say it this way. Say, Paul said. In fact, say it this way. Say, Paul, Paul who, killed Christians, who killed Christians, went to Rome when he wasn't supposed to, wasn't necessarily the best example, and yet he said this. Now say this with me. He said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, let me say this this morning. In the same way that Paul could not be a perfect Christ, even though he said, I am imitating Christ, Cole. He said, even though I'm doing that, there is no way that Paul could be a perfect Christ in all of his imitation. And there is no way that anyone following Paul, when he says, be imitators of me, there is no way that anybody, the Corinthian church, Titus, Timothy, anybody following after him, you or me, there's no way that any of us could be a perfect Paul. In fact, I don't want to be a perfect Paul. Because if I'm a perfect Paul, I'm killing believers. If I'm a perfect Paul, I'm going to watch as they stone Stephen. If I'm a perfect Paul, I'm going to go to the wrong place at the wrong time and end up spending my last days there instead of fulfilling ministry the way I was called to. If I'm the perfect Paul, I'm going to perfectly do everything that Paul imperfectly did. You with me this morning? And yet, in the middle of all of that, nobody knew Paul's inefficiencies. No one knew, better, let me use a better word. No one knew Paul's failings better than Paul. In fact, he toiled over those. He said, when I want to do this, I do that. When I want to go there, I go here. When I want to say this, I say that. He understood his inability to be perfect. And yet, this guy has the audaciousness. Maybe the title of this one today should be audacious. But Paul had the audacity to suggest 
to those that were listening to him that day to follow me as I follow Christ. He said, imitate me. Do as I do as I do what Christ did. And again, in no way was Paul saying, I imitated and became a perfect Christ. And neither is he saying, imitate and become a perfect me. So what does it mean then? In today's world, there's this sense of, as generations progress, as generations pass, or better said, with each successive generation, there is less urgency for the younger generation to feel the need to imitate the older generation. With each successive generation, there is a sense of independence that is misplaced. Maturity in each successive generation is defined more broadly than its intent. In other words, as each generation comes upon us, each following generation, there is the sense that the more I do without help, the more mature that I am. Which in truth, the more I accept that I need help, the more mature that I am. Not the less that I need, but the more I can accept that there are others who have gone before me that can equip and enable me so I don't have to create the wheel over again or climb that mountain over again or burn my finger on that stove all over again. But if I can draw from them to understand that learning from them, imitating them, is a bonus. It is a, if I can use this phrase, it is a rite of passage. It is a growing process that enables us to be a better man or better woman, certainly better prepared man or better prepared woman for what lies ahead. Yet, in all of this There is a sense, and I want to use these next few minutes to point you in this direction because, again, I'm going somewhere. I want to, this is what I want to accomplish in a sentence today. I want to break whatever mental attitude that there is that you need no one and supplant that with the mental truth that you do need others. I want to break that idea that you can do it alone and supplant that with the truth that God has put someone in front of you that was put there for no other reason than for you to look at, and I'm going to use the word Paul used, and imitate. I've heard in 30 years of ministry, 30 years of preaching, 30 years of all that we've done, my wife and I evangelizing, traveling, pastoring, apostling, all those things, and all of that. I've heard people say, I want to do what they're doing, and I'm talking about her and me. 
I want to do what they're doing. And I've heard people say, there's no way I'm doing what anybody else does. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. And and I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going to go to them because, and the reason is, because again, and I'm going to harp on this for a moment, but in this current generation, with each, each successive generation, there is a sense of, I don't need anyone's help. And to ask for anyone's help or even to do what someone else is doing is making me smaller. There's that sense. But it isn't true. So, if Paul is saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ, what is he saying? What can be gained by imitating someone else who is imitating Christ? First of all, before we can even get there, we again have to accept. It's not only okay to imitate someone who is imitating Christ. It's right. He put that in front of us. I'm going to refer to a few stories in just a moment. So, what can be gained? Let me ask you this. What can be gained, and let me put it in natural terms, and you answer it, especially those of you that are parents, you'll be able to answer this well. But what can be gained by a child imitating their parents? Let's ask, let me ask you a question. You birth a child. They come into the world. You put them in their crib. You walk away. You have become a Parker. Good luck. Welcome to the world. Hope you make it. You walk out of the room. Because the child in their gaga goo goo way says, I need no one. What can be gained by a child coming into the world? We put them in their crib, we put them in their seat, we put them in their place at any point in their life, and we walk away. In the same way, what can be gained by coming into the kingdom and those who have been anointed and ordained to lead refuse to do so? What can be gained by not giving, making a way for people coming into the kingdom just learning about this new, brand new world? It's a whole new world. What can be gained by saying to people coming into the kingdom, I hope you make it. Do the best you can. And I've heard preachers say, and this is where I was going a while ago, I've heard preachers say, I don't want anybody to imitate me. I don't want anybody because I'm not going to do everything right. I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to do everything right, but I do want you to imitate me. And I'm not ashamed to say it. Imitate is a word that needs to be well-defined, and we will get there. So what can be gained by a child imitating their parents? Hopefully, if the parents are imitating someone who has gone before them, that child is going to grow up and be a strong man, a strong woman, one with honor, one with integrity, one that knows how to respect. One that has a passion for things that are right and and righteous. Hopefully, as they imitate their mom and dad, because no mother and father, and those of you that aren't a mother and father yet, you'll know when you become one. But no mother, no father of any, that has any good in them, wants their child to figure it all out on their own. But they want to lead that child and they want in every way to make sure they're the kind of example for that child that that child can learn from. My kids, I have three, 
four, one is with Yahweh, and then three here on earth. But my children that are with us on this earth learn from my wife and I. They learn more watching us than they did through the instruction that we gave them. My wife just said to me last night, and I won't say which child, but one of my children did something in this last week. And my wife said, they learned that from you. It was a good thing, by the way. It was good. <laughs> just, just, just to be clear. She said, they learned that watching you. Because I never sat down with that child and said, this is how you do this. I don't recall a single classroom lesson where I brought them in and sat them at the dining room table and said, let me explain to you this part of life, this area, this place. Let me show you how to do this. Let me tell you about it. Let me get your notes out, get your pen out, get your paper out. And yet they did something exactly like daddy does. Why? Because even if there's a lack of understanding, I don't know why I'm doing this. All I know is I've seen my dad do it and it worked for him. And if it worked for dad, it's probably going to work for me. And they did for themselves what worked for their dad and found out this last week it also worked for them. And my wife said they learned, or a couple weeks ago, they learned that from you. Just watching you. So what can be gained by a child imitating their parents? One, first of all, what can be gained in the parent? The parent can say, this is my son and daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Wow, they have blessed me. They don't even know why I'm leading this way. And yet, at first they were following, imitating. And now they're leading just like me. They have found their passion the same way that I have. So, let me read in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. It says this in the ESV. It says, For though you have countless, in the Greek that means 10,000. Everybody say 10,000. It's a lot. That's all that means. That's a lot. For though you have countless guides in Christ or teachers, I talked about this last week, so I won't go into it in detail, you do not have many fathers, but I became your father in Christ Jesus because of or through the gospel. The gospel and my passion for it enabled me to be a voice into your life. That's what he was saying. He wasn't saying, as I said last week, he was not saying, I'm, uh, your, your daddy is no longer important. He wasn't saying, shame on him, he didn't do a good job. Most of our fathers did a great job. I realize that some, of, some fathers in this room, maybe not, but most did. But I know this, what Paul was not saying was, I want to take the place of your good daddy or your bad daddy. Paul was saying, as a good father would be to their children in showing them the right way, I today am saying to you that you lack one that will do that in the gospel. But the Father sent me to be that to you through the gospel. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that came to seek and to save those who are lost, I'm going to be that. He said, I want to be that to you. So again, for though you have a lot of guides in Christ, a lot of teachers that will say, do this report, do that report, read this verse, read that verse, you do not have many fathers. And the difference is this, teachers teach and there is no accountability in their teaching. 
let me explain this, for, especially for teachers in here like Liz and a few others. What I mean by that is when teachers teach, they can stand in front of a classroom and rarely is anyone going to follow behind them and undo and redo what they've done. Rarely. Because in most classrooms, there is no accountability in the sense there's no recording. No one knows what's being said or not being said, except the student. And usually when an issue arises, it's because the student goes home and says something to the parent and says, this was said today. Then the parent inquires, and then that's where it grows from there. And Paul said, you have a lot of teachers that are not required to substantiate what they're saying. But you don't have many fathers who's rising in the morning and lying down at night are require that their life is on exhibit. And it is seen by everyone. And they're accountable to everyone. Do you hear me today? And Paul said... For I became your father, not your teacher. Teachers are good, by the way. By the way, just let's clarify that. Teachers, that's a good thing. But teachers do not carry the responsibility of making sure anyone imitates them because teachers will come and go. Fifth grade teacher teaches fifth grade, sixth grade, sixth grade, social sciences, social sciences. Teachers come and go. Fathers come and they aren't leaving. They arrive, they come into your life, they're sent into your life, and they're not going... The only time there's a separation between the father, a father in the gospel, and a son or a daughter in the gospel is when the son or the daughter make that decision. Paul never said to anyone, not you. They had to decide. If they were not going to walk with Paul, they were not going to walk with Paul because it was their decision. Teachers do not have a lifetime commitment to their students. Fathers, mothers have a lifetime commitment. They are committed to leading and leading well. That's why Paul said, I'm not a teacher. I am a father sent to you in the form of the gospel to enable you and to equip you to become a better you. To find out about you, everything that the father has put in you. And then he asked them, he says, are you willing to imitate me as I imitate Christ? Again, we're going to come to that. So I learned. Growing up, let me share a few examples. I learned early on from people in my life, I'm still learning today. Every week I learned from someone, some of you even. But growing up, I learned early on from my dad who loved the Father. He loved Yahweh. He loved God. My dad, as long as I can remember, I know that my dad was not always a believer. He was not always a, a, a Christian. But my dad, as long as I can remember, the man that raised me, as long as I know, he loved God. And yet, I was aware, because I was a son, of those places in my father that were not perfect. I was aware of those places in him. I remember the first time, and and my kids use a similar situation about me that I don't remember, but they say that I cussed one time because I got mad about something. I honestly don't remember that. Um, I, I, from the abundance of the heart, and I, it's not in my heart, I can tell you right now, I'm just trying to say, but I got to say, I remember a time, and I've shared this years ago, I know I've shared, this, I've shared it when he was here, actually, 
And I remember a time when I was probably 11 or 12 years old. I was a young buck. And I remember my dad working on a washing machine. And as my dad's life was, my dad did not work on anything that my brother and I were not required to be sitting at his side. Even if we didn't do anything, we were required to sit at his side and watch him. Didn't matter what he was doing. And the washing machine was broken, and he was tearing it apart. And here sat my brother and I, uh, right beside my father. And we are watching him tear this thing apart. It was one of those old... It was a couple years ago, and he was tearing this thing apart, and he got in there, and he was doing something, and he popped a spring, and the spring popped, and it cut his hand. And my dad said a wordy dirt. And uh, <laughs> when he said the wordy dirt, um, I remember, because I, all I know is that my dad loves God, and I'm trying to figure out all that. And, and all I know is, here's a man that I'm imitating. I'm telling you, if my dad sneezed, I felt like I needed to follow it up with one. Because I loved him so much. And my dad said a wordy dirt, and I was just like, (gasps) literally flabbergasted, could not believe, even at a young age, could not believe what I just heard my dad said, even to the point of asking myself, and I remember this, thinking to myself, does he really love God? (laughs) Thinking to myself, Dad, (laughs) repent. I might have even asked him, Dad, you need to ask Jesus to forgive you. I don't know. But I know how it affected me, and yet I, I know my dad's, I knew of my father's moments that were imperfect. I saw him every day. I'd get up every day. And the crazy thing is, I said to my wife even last week when we were watching live streaming, I said to her, I said, no one ever hears me when I speak of my dad. Even though my mind is filled with moments, if I wanted to think about it, filled with moments where in the natural, he came up short. Yet you have never, in the years you've known me, when I speak of my dad, you have never heard me say one thing about where he came up short. You've never seen me or witnessed me do to my father what Noah's sons did to him. You've never seen me uncover those places in my dad that would make him just a man. And I know that there are some that would say, but he was just a man. Maybe to you. But to me, he was a father. And he was worthy of imitation. And I put my focus on those things in him that had the greatest qualities and that added something. And I learned, and there are few things that break I cannot fix. There are few things that need to be built I cannot build. There are few things that I don't have some knowledge of. I don't have a lot of knowledge about everything, but I have a little knowledge about everything. And I'll let you know, too, if you ask. But it's because of Him. Because I imitated my Father as he imitated Christ. And the love, and I've shared this story before, even when I was a young kid and I would read my Bible five verses a night. I didn't have relationship with God. I didn't get the whole thing with God. But yet I, there was something in me because I would watch my dad and I'd watch him read and I'd watch him pray. And I would open my Bible every night before I went to bed and I'd read five verses, five verses, five verses. Didn't get it, didn't understand it. Most of it bored me, especially the genealogies. Yet I read every single word. Why? Because I was imitating my father. And I don't know, I don't, it, it's irrelevant to me. If anyone else in the world 
is proud of what Steve Parker has become. But before my father passed away, I can tell you when he stood up in front of this congregation the last time that he was here and he talked about how proud as a daddy that I am of my son standing up there today. And I can tell you, imitating my father, if that's the only moment that I got a pat on the back, that's worth it all. Because I learned something from that man. And whatever good exists in me today, exists in me because of him. I learned how to imitate a man when I first came to the knowledge of Christ and I genuinely had a relationship with Jesus Christ, came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I received him. It was my choice. Someone else didn't lead me to an altar. Someone else didn't say, it's time, Steve. You need to go do this. No one did that. But Holy Spirit convicted me and I knew in my own heart this is the time. On July the 8th, 1985, when I walked down and went into that church, and Hank Davis, as a pastor now, was an evangelist then, but Pastor Hank Davis today, he was here a few years ago and preached. But when Pastor Hank Davis was preaching and he gave that appeal, I wanted to get saved. I want to know that Jesus Christ. And all I know is the title of that message was, Will the Real Jesus Christ Please Stand Up? And he did for me that day. But the reason there was a hunger in me was because I imitated somebody before that and something was birthed. There was a seed that was planted in me because I was willing to imitate even when I didn't understand. And I might not, not, and that's probably a light word, not only when I didn't understand, when I didn't agree. Even when there was no agreement, I still would imitate because even in disagreement, you can't help it when the person you're imitating, you see, even if I disagree... It's doing something amazing in them. And if I want that result or that relationship or that to happen in me, I'm going to imitate them. And then I remember Pastor Hank Davis. After he came, he was preaching a revival. I got saved. He was an evangelist at that time. And he went away, just like evangelists do. And I, every week, I just met this man for the first time, ever. I never knew this man, didn't know what an evangelist was until he came. And he left, he was in Tennessee, I was in Houston, Texas. And every week, Pastor Hank Davis would call on the phone and he would say, Steve, are you reading the Bible? Are you praying? How you doing? Are you doing? Well, yeah, I'm doing great, whatever I called him, I don't even know what I called him then. But I'm, I'm doing great, thank you, thank you. He'd hang up next week, he'd call me. I learned later he had never done that for anyone else, but he was compelled to do that for me. And I'm going to tell you why. No, I'm not. I'm just going to leave it there. But he was compelled to do that for me. And he would call me every single week, and and I learned, and I began to watch him, and there were things about Pastor Hank Davis. I went, and I became his first youth pastor in Cleveland, Tennessee, when he established a church. He started a church. That's where I met my wife. In fact, he and his wife introduced my wife and I together, and they will be at my daughter's wedding. But I would watch him, and I lived with them for three and a half years. I lived with Pastor Hank and Rhonda Davis. I lived in their house. I watched them raise their daughter, Courtney. It's the only child they had while I was in their house. And I lived downstairs in the basement part of their home, and they lived upstairs, and they provided that place for me, but I would watch him. And you know what? And, and, I, and I learned, and I would, and I would observe, and I, and I would see their failings. I would see the places that they weren't perfect. But then I would see their places where their passion shine bright. And I learned to imitate that passion. And I learned to ask questions, and I learned to to say to him, how is it that you're able to do this? And how did this happen? And how come this, how did this result occur? 
And I wouldn't focus on those things where it wasn't going to add anything to me. But I focused on those things and imitated those things as he imitated Christ. He wanted, it could never be questioned about Pastor Hank Davis or Rhonda Davis. Do they love God? Man, they love God. And they loved people who loved God. And they loved people who didn't love God. And they wanted them to love God. I've never known an evangelist that has reached more people personally than Hank Davis. And have the ability to draw people in. Today, I think about those days and those times and the questions that I would ask him. And I see so much even of who I am today that was born out of how I imitated him then. I remember I had not been there very long and he asked me to preach and he used to have this habit that was interesting. And he would put his hand together. Hun, you remember this? And he would put his hand, he would hold his hand like this. And, and he would do this. And, he, and, and, I, and while I'm watching him on the front, I had not yet preached in that church. And, and I was the youth pastor, but I had not yet preached in front of the congregation. I was really just learning to preach. And so I was imitating, I was watching, and I was trying to find out, you know, what makes this man an effective communicator? He's anointed, certainly, but he's also an excellent communicator. And I would watch, and I, he had this habit of holding his hand like this, and then he would put his mouth like this. And I remember the first time that he asked me pre- to preach, he said, he invited me to preach. I was nervous. I was so nervous. I spent a lot of time in the restroom before the service. I was so nervous. But I got up there to preach, and the whole time I preached, I would do this. And I held my mouth just like he did. I held my hand just like he did. And, and I was imitating him. And man, the people would amen, shout, do their thing. And I thought, man, what a great service we just had. After service, we went home to his house and he said, don't ever do that again. And I'm thinking, what, preach? He said, don't ever do that again. And I said, don't do what again? He said, this and this. I said, you do it all the time. He said, that's me. That's a habit I can't break. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's not what you learn from me. What you learn from me is the good stuff. That doesn't add anything to anybody. It's one of the reasons I always tell when I have people come and they'll speak or they'll stand behind this pulpit, one of the things that I say almost every time, I don't know that I've ever not said it, but I always say to them, this is what I want you to do. Have fun. Make sure you come out. In the middle of you coming out, if you've been following me long, some of me will be there. But don't let me be there because you make it be there. If I'm there, let me come out naturally or spiritually. Don't let me come out because you force it. You hear me today? And then I followed a man called F. Nolan Ball, Apostle F. Nolan Ball in Panama City. And and I would imitate him and I would watch him and I would listen and I would see. What I know about studying, I learned from him. What I know about making every verse count came from him. Because before that time, it was all about memorization. I've told you this before. The more scripture I memorized, the more anointed I felt. The closer to God I believed that I was. And then as I would watch him and he would take a single verse, he could take Jesus wept and preach on that for nine months and six days. But he would take that and he would be able to break that up. And it was intriguing to me. And I watched and I would watch how he would do this. And I would sit across the table 
in presbytery staff meeting and I would listen to how he talked and I would find myself, I had learned from Pastor Hank not to duplicate all the things that were really irrelevant, but I had learned to imitate those things that make me a greater and a better man, that draw me closer to the Father, things that I don't have to learn all over again. And I would pick his brain and we would sit at Arby's and eat an Arby's roast beef sandwich with some curly fries. That was his favorite. And we'd sit there at Arby's and I would pick his brain and say, how do you do this? How do you do that? And he would say often, he would say to me, Steve, I can't tell you how I do it. Just watch me do it. Because it, imitation is not, does not make, say this with me, imitation, imitation. does not make me smaller. Makes me bigger. It grows me. And in the same way I followed my father and imitated my father and still do to this day, so much of what you see when I'm preaching today, there's a little bit of my daddy there. There's a little bit of Pastor Hank Davis there. There's a little bit of F. Nolan Ball there. And on any given Sunday, there's a little bit of you there. Even this morning, there was some of uh, Stephanie Bosch there when I was talking about what she said. Why? Because I'm imitating you too as you imitate, the, as you imitate Christ. There is so much in you together. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Focus on those things that look like Christ. So many times people are going to churches all over the nation, all over the world today, and they walk out of the church because they say, I thought this pastor was going to be this way, or I thought he was that way, and then he did this, and and all that failing, I can never follow him again or imitate him. It's because you're imitating the wrong thing. I'm going to tell you, every single person that walks out of a church because the pastor did something wrong was following the wrong thing. And every single person that can say about a preacher today that can sit in any conversation and say, well, this preacher did this, and this preacher did this, and this minister did that, and and so on and so forth, when they're saying that, what they're doing is making them human, which is exactly what they are, and yet they're being condemned for being human. Instead, what should be focused on is, did that person, man or woman, change your life in any way? What impact did they have on you? Can you forgive their failing and imitate their righteousness that they got, not because of their own doing, but because of the anointing of Christ in them? Is anybody hearing what I'm saying today? So we can look around us today, and if you're looking for the perfect man or woman to follow, you'll never find them. And I'm going to tell you, those of you that imitate me as I imitate Christ, If you imitate everything I do, I said it to the team, the leaders this morning. I said it to them this morning. If you imitate me as I imitate, if you imitate me and leave off as I imitate Christ part, you're going to find yourself needing to repent of a lot of things. Maybe I did curse the, whenever, whenever I did. I don't know. I don't remember doing that. They said I did. Shame on me. I forgive. I repent. Just in case, I repent. But it's, if I did... I'm not weighted down by that. And if you are, you're following the Steve that has Adam in it. Follow the Steve that has Christ in it. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, Paul said. Imitate me as I do what what you see in me in the same way that I do what I see in Christ. Imitate the Christ parts. Imitate the anointed. Is anybody hearing me this morning? I'm saying all that to you today because there are people afraid to imitate. 
There are people afraid to follow. Even under the sound of my voice today, you're afraid to follow. You're afraid to imitate. And again, I'm going to refer to what I referred to a moment ago. A lot of it is because people have watched pastors and preachers and ministers and other people that have disappointed them along the way, and they said, I'm never going to follow them again. I'll listen to what they've got to say, but I'm not going to follow. Well, that will be your undoing. Because I'm going to tell you, if you'd walked out on your parents the first time they failed you, you would be ashamed today. It's true. If you walk out of a job the first time you're disappointed because someone did something wrong or your, your boss didn't give you $5 that he owed you, you're in trouble. But when God places people in your life, and that's the key, when Holy Spirit places people in your life, the year to follow, imitate them as they imitate Christ. Don't get caught up in their failings. Because I'm going to stand in front of you right now and I'm going to say it and I'm going to make it real clear. I am not a perfect man. I'm hungry. I hunger for perfection, which is simply maturity. That's all it is. In Scripture, when you see the word perfect, it means maturity. That's what it means. It doesn't mean flawless. It means maturity. So as far as that's the passion for Christ, I'm a perfect man in Christ. But I am not a perfect man in Steve. You hearing me today? It's important because I want to help you. I look around what's going on around us today, even what I said to the camera in the beginning of the service today to the people that find it easy to be at a restaurant but somehow excuse coming to church. That bothers me. You know why it bothers me? Because I am a father. I can tell you if I'd seen one of my kids at a restaurant without a mask on, and I'm using this as an example, if I'd seen one of my kids yesterday at a restaurant without a mask on, and then they called me and said, but I can't be at church tomorrow, it wouldn't have been good. I would have said, you better find your way to an altar real fast. Because you want to make sure you're forgiven right before I kill you. (laughs) Boy, that was a strong statement. I take that back. Taking all that back. I take that back. Erase that. Pretend like you didn't hear it. Yahweh, make them forget that part. So I imitated Ibra Parker, Pastor Hank Davis, Apostle Nolan Ball, in the same way that they imitated Christ, and I never felt small for doing it. I never felt like a lesser man. I felt like a growing man. I felt like with every imitation... With everything I see them do that I am duplicating, I see myself growing. And I am not ashamed to let people know. My wife and I, and then I'm going to move into something that I want to do today. Turn the air down just a little bit, uh, somebody, because it's getting warm in here to me. I think it says mask or scarf I got around my neck. I can't take it off or my hair will be like, and then everybody, who's that guy? But my wife and I are watching this series right now called Alone. And I don't know if any of you watch it, but uh, I know some of you do. I don't know how many of you. If you don't watch it, it's pretty interesting. But anyway, we're watching this series called Alone. And I think I might be one. I, I, I try in every way, whether I'm in this pulpit or I'm standing on that floor or I'm in your home or in your car sitting across the table from you, I try with everything in me to be as real as I can. I, 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 am, I am not a facade guy. What you see is what you get. This is me. And sometimes it's maybe hard to take. Other times I hope, it's easy. I hope it's easier to take more than it's hard to take. 
But my wife and I are watching alone, and we're watching this series. And it's funny because with each successive series, beginning with series one, you know, the people were, you know, they set 10 people by themselves off in this island, and they have to survive, get their own food. and everything. How many watch it? How many have ever watched it? You like it? You like it? I love it. And, uh, but I like camping, and I like stuff like that. In fact, I've applied for Survivor, so I'm supposed to hear the first week of September whether I get to go be a contestant on Survivor. But um, I'm hoping it's in Fiji. <laughs> My wife said, if it's in Fiji, I'm going. So, but, um, so I might be gone for like 37 days. But, uh, but anyway, I love that stuff. And I always, in my own mind, whether it's true or not, I always in my own mind believe I could do that. I'm a good woodsman. I know how to be, I, I can, I can, I, I know, I, I just, I'm a good woodsman. And um, so I'm, we're watching this alone series, and as we watch it, I'm watching season one, you know, there's one guy out, I mean, he didn't even make it eight hours. He's like, oh my, I think I heard a bear. I'm tapping out! Send the plane! <laughs> And then each successive series, they start lasting longer and longer because the survivors are actually getting better and better. It's not just people that learn how to survive because they read a book on their coffee table at their aunt's house. They know how to survive because they've actually demonstrated it. They've lived it. Some of them get a little weird, a little odd, a little peculiar. Yeah, I'm just trying to be kind. And, but as I watch that series of Survivor, this is what I know. I, I, can, I can start a fire. I already could start a fire with just a friction fire with a rod and just sticks. I can do that with a string. I can do that. That's the, I've done it before. I can do that. That's not a problem. I don't have to do that, so I carry a lighter with me. But, <laughs> but I can. Um, there's things that I see on there that I can do. But in season one, I just remember saying to my wife, what is wrong with these people? Because everywhere around them, one of the first things to me that you'd be aware of in camping is if you, they can't get a fire started because it's wet. They're in Vancouver Island. I'm going to do this real quick because I've got to move along. They're in Vancouver Island, and they can't get a fire started because it's very damp and moist. The best thing you can do in a situation like that is either get resin from a, a tree or birch bark. Birch bark will burn. doesn't matter where you're at. Under any circumstances. There's birch trees all over them. And they're on there. They're going, we're going to get a fire. I'm tapping out. I'm freezing. I said to my, I'd say to my wife, I mean, it was like season three before someone finally used birch bark. Which is everywhere. I mean, they're, they're cutting birch trees down and building their shelter out of it. They're surrounded by, which, why, which is why some of their shelters burn down. I'm not spoiling. I'm not telling you which season it is. So you have to watch them all to figure out. But I'm watching this, series, this show and I'm, I'm saying to my wife, of what I know, well, if I were in that situation, I would do this. If I were there, I, this is what I would do. Why aren't they doing this? And I'm asking questions because of my own experience. And yet, as the seasons progress, the first couple of seasons, I could have won them hands down. No question. Those people were garage campers and but then it got tough it starts getting tough and then I mean they ended up they go to Patagonia and I'm thinking wow man now they got bow and arrows now what I can't do is shoot a bow and arrow and what I don't want to do is fight a bear without a weapon and but I'm watching them and I said to my wife I've said it to her a couple of times I didn't know you could do that. 
And then something else, they'll do something else. I didn't know you could do that. And then I said to her, I think it was last night or a couple nights ago, I said, I made a mental note. And what they did right there, I will never forget it. And next time I'm in the woods and I'm in that, because they are situations that they're in. When I take guys in this house camping, we go a couple times, you used to go a couple times a year, due time. In the fall, we'll go again. But when we go, there's situations that we get in. I think, how would we do, do this? And I'm watching them. And you know why? I'm going to imitate them. Now, they might not be imitating Christ, but I'm going to imitate them. There's something to be said. See, now, I could take the position and say, there's no way. Or I could just lie against the truth and go out on the camping trip with the guys and say, listen, I'm going to teach you guys a lesson, and I learned this all by myself. If, that weren't, if that's not the truth, that's just a lie. But it's one thing. Now I'm exposing myself completely, and I'm saying if I go on a camping trip and I do something, it's probably because I learned it on alone. And in case I can't beat the bear, maybe you should watch alone too. But I'm imitating what I'm seeing there because I'm going to tell you today. To follow someone, not that those people are following Christ. However, I'm pretty certain Jordan was. I think he was a lover of God. But to follow someone who is faithfully following Christ is to gain the fruit. It is to gain the wisdom and the knowledge of their journey. To be willing to imitate someone who is faithfully and passionately imitating Christ. Not because they're a perfect man in the natural, but they are mature in the spirit. To imitate those things that mark the identity and the nature of Christ is good for all of us. Still to this day, I am imitating people who have both gone before me and who are coming up behind me. I watch things that the people do that are younger than me, and I watch things that people do that are older than me. But the common denominator between the two is that those that I'm watching and I'm imitating something about is I'm watching them because they are an imitator of Christ. They are demonstrating that they have a passion for Christ. I don't want to do anything someone is doing just because it's a good thing to do. I want to do it because it's going to produce something eternal. And that is what it means when it is said, imitate me. We're going to be in this series for a few weeks. I would encourage you not to miss it. In fact, I think next week we're going to do a panel. But I would encourage you not to miss it. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. I invite you today. If you are one, maybe you are, maybe you're not. If you're watching online today and you say it's impossible because we watch on the other side of the screen... I don't know. I'm just telling you what you see. I want it to be true that what you see in me is what you get. And I'm going to say to you in this building and on the other side of that camera, in the same way that Paul said it, and I'm going to say this every week that we have this series, in the same way that Paul said it, in the same way with his same intention, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Don't get caught up in the places where I let you down. Because I promise you I'm probably going to do that. Not intentionally, but just because I'm working through things just like you are. But if you will imitate those parts of me that are passionate for the things of God, it's going to do in your life even greater things than it has done in my own. Because you are standing on my shoulders and stepping off into a deeper place. Amen? Amen? 
So why would someone like me or anyone else be considered qualified to be followed? Well, I want to say this. You know, there's something... Let me see, how am I going to do this? When I was called into ministry, and that's uh, a very misunderstood statement, to be called into ministry is... You know, I've had people that have responded to me and said, well, everybody's called into ministry, so it doesn't really define. And, and even when I had the group, and I do have the group still that we meet the last Sunday of every month, or fourth Sunday of every month, but for the work of the ministry, and I said, those who are called to ministry, I invite you to come and be a part of that group. And I had a couple of people that replied to me based on what they understood, and they said, well, everybody's called into ministry. Well, according to Ephesians chapter 4, that's true. Because the job of the fivefold, the job of the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers is to equip every believer for the work of the ministry. For the work of the ministry. So it is true that every believer is called and the breath of God exists in them for the work of the ministry. But there's a need for equipping, even if we go back to that, there's a need for equipping. So it's true that we're all called to ministry. But when I use the word ministry or when people ask or when I've asked, do you believe you're called to ministry? It's been misunderstood, I think, sometimes by that statement because, again, everybody believes they're called to ministry and they are. That is true. But my reference point for that is, do you believe that you're called to leadership ministry? See, Because a parent gives a child an aspirin, that doesn't make them a doctor. True? Because a parent uh, gives a child the keys to the car to go get the groceries out, that doesn't make a child a NASCAR driver. True? I don't know. Examples could go on and on. Because you fly in a plane doesn't make you a pilot. I'm not flying in your plane. (laughs) In the same way, because you share the gospel with someone does not make you part of the priesthood. You're part of the ministry. But there is a priesthood that soul life is... They have been ordained and they have been called by God. They have committed their life to lead. They cannot, everything about their moments is focused on leading people into a deeper relationship with the Father. Everything about what they're doing. Everybody's called to minister. We all should be sharing the gospel. We all should be sharing that out there. But not everybody's called to commit their whole life to that. And in the years that I've led the Rock of Central Florida, in the years that I've led here, I don't know how many people that I've come that have said to me, I'm called to ministry. I believe I'm called to... Ministry and it's full time. And then I've watched as that passion went. Would just come and go. And I'm not quick. I'm not quick to lay hands on people and to say, 
I ordain you, I set you in a place of men. I'm not quick to do that. And I've watched people come and go. I've watched people that have believed that they were that, and, but the passion didn't match the statement. Doesn't mean that they didn't love God, and it doesn't mean that they weren't called to be a voice of God to their friends, their co-workers, their neighbors, and whomever else. They certainly are a minister of the gospel in that sense, but not part of the, a priesthood, an eldership. Am I making sense? And there's some that have wondered, why haven't you placed me in ministry? And it's because in one particular instance, they have come and gone. So often, they've demonstrated to me, you're not trustworthy. Why would I receive you into an eldership place when we don't really even know, will you be here next Sunday? Now, you can go somewhere else and they'll quickly put you there just to count you among their numbers. But not here. But what qualifies us to be people worthy of being followed or imitated? Well, it's our passion. For Christ. To what extent is that passion there? You know, I would say this. The people of Israel, the Jewish nation, any generational time frame that you want to use, Old Testament, New Testament, whatever time frame you want to use, love God. No question, they love God. But passion is different for each individual. Because not everybody was called to the eldership, to the priesthood. Not everybody was. And it's not because one was more qualified than another, or one lived a better life than another. Or it, that is all one of the mysteries of God. Ask Him one day. Ask Him when you go to lunch today. Whenever. But I know this. When God calls somebody to a priesthood ministry, an eldership ministry, it never leaves you. It doesn't matter what, you might be making tents like Paul did. But while you're making that tent, all you can think about is getting this gospel into every corner of the earth. And if I have to make tents while I'm doing it, how can I use this tent to have a tent meeting in? Because it is in every pore. And when I got saved, and I've shared this before, and I'm going to share it real quick here. But when I got saved, and I would sit there and I would listen. This is before I understood what it was to be called by God. But it's funny because I share this experience in... 99% of the people that are going to hear me say this right now, you, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You've never sensed it. Doesn't, it's just because it's not your calling. But you're not going to relate to this portion. But I would sit out there in that congregation and I would listen to the preacher preach. And I didn't, couldn't identify it back then. But I would sit out there and I would listen to the preacher preach and I would just, in my mind, and my heart, I would think, this is how I would say that. This is what I would do. 
I really, and I, there was something in me. I want to, I want to say, I got, there's something in I just want to share this. Can I just add this to what he's got to say or she? Every time. I couldn't go to church and sit under any speaker anywhere, any preacher, and not be out there thinking, oh, I want, can I add this? There's, I, I, this will help. <laughs> While at the same time just drawing out of that person and all I wanted to do was relieved. There was so much in me. I felt like I was about to explode every week. And I was barely saved. I didn't know a single verse. Not even Jesus wept. But it was in me. And I didn't realize until later, which is what Pastor Hank Davis found out. The reason he was calling me every week was he saw something in me I didn't even know was there. It was a calling to an eldership, to a priesthood. And I didn't know then what it would lead to and what it was, what it would be today. But as I begin to grow, I begin to learn that's my purpose. I'm part of the priesthood. And I can deny this or say, what difference is the priesthood from the person that's sitting in the congregation? Only the fact that He created me solely for this purpose. And I should be no more proud of what he called me to than you are of what he called you to. No more boastful of what I'm called to than what you are. Should not be jealous for your calling any more than you should be jealous for mine. But standing in a position where I recognize this is who I am. Let me read in Exodus chapter 30. It says this. It says, Moses said you shall, or the father said to Moses, you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. Incredible scripture. I'm going to read Exodus 40 in a moment. But in Exodus 30 again, he says, Moses, you will anoint Aaron and you will anoint his sons and you will consecrate them so that they may serve me as priests, set them apart Amen. to serve me, to serve me as priests. Get their attention off of everything else so that they can do exactly what I'm called, what I've created them to be. And then in Exodus 40, verse 15 in the NASB, it says this, And you will anoint them even as you have anointed their father, that they may minister as priests to me. And then it says this, and their anointing then will qualify them for a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. Everybody say this with me. Their anointing will qualify them. So what qualifies Steve Parker to be one to be imitated? The anointing of God. I have no anointing of my own. The anointing of God. As Paul said, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. But one person, especially if you're learning and you're trying to grow and you want to grow and you're... Don't try to figure it all out on your own. Ask questions. Ask questions. I've been so passionate about this for so long, I probably have some of the answers. I won't have them all. But I'll save you a whole lot of trouble. Imitate me 
as I imitate Christ. And then this neat thing happens. So, God knew there was not a chance in the world that one person was going to be able to do all that he needed to do in the earth. So I'm going to conclude with this today. It was going to require people to stand with him or her and enable them. And I've always understood that, had a pretty good understanding of it, but never better than I have these last couple years for sure. But a person who is called to ministry, to teaching ministry, preaching ministry, it's their life. It isn't something that you look at them and you hope it's there. It's demonstrated there. See, one should never have to say, I'm called to ministry. It ought to be evident in what you're doing. It should be present in everything that you're doing. So there's a commitment to teach and to lead that's present in that man or that woman that indicates they just can't get away from it. And it's not just a moment or an isolated passion, but it's something that is every day. They're considering in their mind and, and nothing against those that are can't relate to what I'm about to say, but not an hour passes on any given day that I'm not thinking. What do you want me to share with this people? Not an hour. Not, it's a true statement. Not a single hour of any day passes where I'm not aware and listening to the voice of the Father asking, where do I lead them? What's next? Even when I'm away, if I go on vacation, I'm still thinking about you. And what do you need? How can I help you with that? Where are you trying to go? How can I help you get there? What's hurting you? How can I help bring peace to the pain? It's on my mind. Every hour of every day. And it's not a wait. It's not a wait. It's a joy to consider that for this purpose, I was chosen. But see, I was, this is the anointing that he anointed me with, and I accept. Whatever anointing he's anointed you with, accept. And I'm asking you today, imitate me again as I imitate Christ, and then I'm going to do something right now. I'm not the only one. We're all worthy of being imitated in some way, but there are others who have demonstrated over time, not just in the last two weeks or last two years or last six months or because of a letter I got in the mail, but they've demonstrated over time my heart is to serve and my heart is to lead and to raise up another generation in the things that they are saying and the things that they are doing. I want Kim Parker, Archie Phillips, Kaylee Parker, Jenny Kerner, and James Padgett to join me on stage, please.
So, I know all of these. I've known all of them for a long time, actually. And I've watched their lives. I've seen what they do. Some of them you've seen, heard, witnessed, one way or the other. Ain't no party like Archie. (laughs) But you've seen or heard or witnessed in some way um, what I'm doing today. The reason I'm bringing them up here today is because it has long been in my heart. For a long time, I struggled only because of, it wasn't bad teaching at the time, it was teaching that they only knew to teach. They didn't mean it to be bad, but I struggled for a long time because I had received some teaching. Again, as I said, there's things that I've heard people teach that you just, you grow over time. Part of that imitating is imitate the good stuff. But there couldn't be women in ministry. One of my greatest regrets, I've said it over and over again, was that Linda Reichert passed away and I did not ordain her. On the first Sunday in November when we celebrate our 21st anniversary at the Weston Hotel, that's where we'll be celebrating it this year, a big banquet, I'll tell about it in a minute. I'm going to ordain each of these people that are standing behind me today. They're going to be ordained. We're going to lay hands on them. We're going to position them. They are worthy to be imitated as they imitate Christ. Why these? Because each of these have both demonstrated and shared with me. Demonstration wasn't enough. I also wanted to know out of their mouth what was present. And I have letters and emails from each of them Over the years, I keep everything. If you know me, you know I have folders full of... If you email me, make it good because I will use it. (laughs) But I have letters from them declaring what their heart is and yet not knowing how to see it fulfilled. And Holy Spirit said to me some time ago, it's been a while now and I finally got here. This is the time. This is the time. So as they stand today, and we arrive at whatever that first Sunday in November is, I don't even know what the date is, second or third, we arrive on that first Sunday, I'm going to call them up in front of everyone, and I'm going to ordain each of them. They will not be coming on staff full time, they're not going to be, they're going to be still making their tents wherever their tents are made. They'll still be doing that. But I know what they're called to. And I think you do too. So in this series, again, next week is going to be a panel. But in this series, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. I encourage you today. I want everyone to grow. I want your life to be changed. Doesn't mean I have more access to Him than you do. It just means that some of the things that, because I'm doing it every day, that I've experienced on my journey, you you haven't. And I don't really want you to have to go through that. Let me help you. That's what it means. Let me help you. Amen? So, Father, I lift my voice over these standing here today. I'm not going to lay hands on them today, but I will soon. But I lift my voice over them, and I'm thankful that by your word and by your spirit, you have joined me to people 
like this. I have presbytery with me today. Some that are on my presbytery have been ordained. In fact, Matt, I think, was ordained 2003. And Gaston was ordained in Panama City. But I stand today in this congregation of believers. And Yahweh, I lift my voice over them. And first, I give thanks that you chose these to help me teach and to preach and to make a difference in the people that trust us. Yahweh, I thank you today. Now I lift my voice over this congregation. And I pray for the men and the women that are sitting in this congregation, those that are watching online today, and I pray that you will let every single person today let their heart be true. Let every heart be true. And let every man, let every woman today receive, be willing to receive from the giftings and the anointings that the Father has put in these to raise up a people that in every way are faithful to hear and obey your word. Be glorified today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Amen. So.